Listen, I say listen. It's the voice of someone shouting. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and the hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all, all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. O Zion, messengers of good news, shout from the mountaintop. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout it and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. So Satan comes and tries to take the word out of your heart, the word of God. If he is successful, he gets your joy because joy is a product of something that was spoken by God. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength, when you lose your joy, you become weak, you become helpless, unable to overcome. You become an open target for Satan's attacks. So remember what Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8, verse 10. God's word produces joy, and joy produces strength. So here we are in the book of John 16, 22. And you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, says the Lord, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man can take away from you. We have seen that if no man can take your joy, neither can Satan. He does not have the legal right to do that unless you give him that right. So let's fill our cups with joy as we feast on the Word of God. You are listening to the Gospel Trail. We thank you, Lord, for this day and for those who are with us and those who can't be with us physically at this moment. We thank you for all your blessings, Lord. Um, and we ask that you will guide and lead us and direct us in ways that you would have us to go throughout this day and for each and every day that remains here until we return home. Thank you in the blessed name of Jesus, we pray and say, amen. Amen. Well, I'm very pleased to have with me today two special guests, Wanda and Grover. Well, the old adage is that you should be willing to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice uh, as a Christian. And uh, hopefully this will not involve death on my part. Uh, it doesn't mention this podcast, so I guess that saying does not require me to do this podcast. So I'm just going to take off and let you guys take care of it. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, thank God for jokes. <laughs> uh, today we're going to look at a, a pretty serious topic, and that is the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus a real turning point for the whole world and of course the resurrection of christ being not the end of the story but the beginning of a new story i'm impressed with Pilate here it seems like he's trying to 
get Jesus excused from these charges? I'm amazed at that because here is a, a Roman who was clearly considered the enemy by Jewish people. And yet he's saying, what's the accusation? What's he done? And he gets the answer, well, we wouldn't be here if he wasn't guilty of something, which is probably not the best way to lead a court case. And they are asking for the death penalty, and yet they really aren't saying what he's guilty of. That's just extraordinary. Uh, he seems to be trying to do the right thing. And didn't he have a, uh, a message through his wife? Um, mm -hmm. So a dream, wasn't you, A dream, that's right. And that may have given him pause at this point. So we have this interrogation, and in verse 33, Pilate asks, Are you really the king of the Jews? And the response of Jesus is, are you asking because you really want to know? Or are you asking this because others have said this about me? That he is not a king or that he is a king because he later goes on to explain it's not in this realm. Um, and that is in what? Verse 36. My kingdom realm authority is not in this realm. But isn't it interesting that God's plan, God's strategy of Jesus dying on the cross takes priority. God had a plan, a sovereign plan. The part obviously spoke what a human would want to defend him because he knew that Jesus did nothing wrong. But this is a prophecy being fulfilled as we continue reading. Now, there is this matter of Jesus saying, I have come into this world to prove what truth really is. And immediately comes to mind the, the verse about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. And then he goes on here and says, and everyone who loves the truth will receive my words. And then Pilate just looks at him and says, what is truth? That's a phrase that has resonated down through the centuries. Um, what is truth? There is also there is a way that seems right unto man, but the wages mm -hmm. um, of sin are death. What is the result? Well, Pilate says, what is truth? And silence fills the room. Mm -hmm. that, that's incredible to me. And then he voices his decision. He's not guilty. I couldn't find one fault in him. But unfortunately, that decision is not in line with the plan of redemption because God knows the plan of redemption involves crucifixion. Then this thought kind of springs to his mind. Maybe he can do something to satisfy these bloodthirsty religious leaders who, and maybe save Jesus' life. So he, he goes back to the crowd and he says, do you want Jesus? that I can't find anything wrong with, or Barabbas, who actually, in the original language, that means he was the leader of an insurrection, not just a robber, but an, a leader of ins insurrection. So what does Pilate expect? <laughs> uh, it's kind of obvious what he expects, and that's not what he gets. Uh, they, the crowd chooses Barabbas. 
Sean, I would say and, one thing here. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. And just, I was just reading this, and I find in him no faults in him. So we uh-huh. know that that Jesus was a perfect lamb, and we know yes. he was he had no sin, and and even we're getting it from the is Pilate a judge, by the way, in this story? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Whatever he's, he's uh, and so he is speaking the truth that Jesus is innocent, but we're going to find he has been charged as guilty. And this, this is the uh, thread that goes for the, uh, Jesus to die on the cross. Even though he was perfect, he was a perfect lamb, and I think that's very tied into that. No, absolutely, the perfect lamb of God sacrificed for us. Mm-hmm. That we would have life. Exactly. That's a very good point, and that it was that it's established that yeah, there was no. Um, justification other than for the purpose that it served to execute or crucify uh, Jesus, Uh that he had not committed a crime. I also think about Pilate, and I believe at one point that he took and symbolically washed his hands, and correct me if I'm mistaken, and said that um, I am uh, free of the blood paraphrasing it or I'm, I'm watching in other words he wanted no part of it and that he was trying to exempt himself and clear himself from the the from the event from the uh, process but when we think about that so many times in life so many people try to do that is to um get out of that the decision-making or the, or the situation, then the truth of the matter is that he was a part of it and that he couldn't, he couldn't wash the sin away. I'm also impressed here that these religious leaders hate Jesus so much that they were willing to endanger their own source of power, which lay in the Roman uh, peace, the, the Roman control. Uh, that was why they could stay in power is because the Romans allowed them to. Um, and yet they free this person who led an insurrection. Uh, they're willing to go that far, endangering their own power because of their hatred. What massive hatred that must be. I think that we do need to be solution-focused 
But too often we pick up the solution as being, oh, let's pass this new law. And somehow we think laws are going to solve the problems. And so often laws don't solve the problems and sometimes they make things worse. Instead of that, I think we need to look at the solution that is in the human heart. We need to be changed people. Absolutely. What resonates is what I've heard over the years is sometimes we need to go back to go forward. We need right now as much as ever to get back to the basics and the principles and the values. I'm thinking from Jesus' point of view, how would you feel if you were in Jesus' shoes? I mean, he's, he's God, he's man. But looking at the man's side here, wow. <laughs> I think Jesus, in other words, I think that he struggled. Um, oh, I know. Like we so often do. I'm sure he did struggle. Yeah, I just think when you're talking about struggle, we may be thinking on the physical part, but what about the spiritual angle about it? I think, and I've read this, and I have to agree with it. Jesus, and I'm sure, didn't look forward to the cross, no. But I think it's when his father could not look upon him because he's carrying the sins of the whole world. I'm sorry, this is really emotional because he's his father couldn't even look upon his son at that time. And you know, what is the most heartbreaking experience in our lives is when our best friend or our loved one turns their back on us or are not there for us from either their presence or their opinions or whatever. And that's been a rough moment for Jesus, to be honest with you. Oh. Sometimes we think Jesus is not for us. He's not, where are you, where are you, God? <laughs> Uh, to me, I think that was the worst of the whole story, to be honest with you. Oh. Mm-hmm. God bless you for sharing that because you just spoke volumes. Absolutely. Mm. We can't even begin to fathom, is the word I was trying to find, fathom the depth mm-hmm. of the emotion and feeling. Because I think it's and- love is stronger than the cross. And that really hits me too. Yes, absolutely. And the Bible teaches us, the Word of God teaches us that love shall conquer all. There's not just the pain here. Uh, Flagellation was dreadful. Uh, Being hit repeatedly. Uh, All of these things, the, the mockery of the crown and the mockery of the robe and and those kinds of things. Um, It's not just that, but it was the shame that came with those things. He is the king, and here they're making fun of him as if he was the king, but he is the king. And and how hard that must have been emotionally for him to face. How much his love cost him. How much his love for us cost him. Mm Mm-hmm. And we have that verse that we all know. God's so loved. If you don't believe it, look at the story we're talking about today. Yes. And so once again, Pilate makes Jesus the focus, brings him to the religious leader, says he's not guilty. Look at him, Pilate says. Look at him. Mm-hmm. And the crowd continues to shout, crucify him. Mm-hmm. And Pilate then says, well, do it yourselves. 
he's trying to avoid responsibility, but he's also saying, this is so unjust. You know, if you're going to break the law, go ahead, but you'll be responsible, not me. Right. It's true. Now, what do you make of this where Jesus asks, is asked by Pilate where he's from? Uh, verse 9. I think he's trying to pass this case on to someone else. He's trying to find a different jurisdiction. Oh, yeah. Where's that at? Where he talks about where, is he, where are you from? What, is, what verse are you talking about? Verse 9. And Jesus' response is silence. Yeah, right. That's the golden word. Silence. Because mm-hmm. he does not want to stop what's going on because he loves us so much. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's a point. This makes me think when you say he didn't want to stop it is when Peter cut the <clears throat> defendant was defending Jesus when the Romans came in the middle of the night because they couldn't stand the light, whatever. And they came to arrest Jesus, and Peter drew his sword, cut the ear. And I believe, I recall where Jesus was saying, don't you realize that I could call upon a legion of angels right now? It was meant to be. You don't understand. Humans, you humans do not understand the big picture. I know it isn't written this way, but it's so applicable. Humans do not understand the big picture. The universe is unfolding as it was meant to be. So Pilate gets really exasperated. And he says, don't you know that I have the power to let you go? He's got the power. And Jesus says, you wouldn't have any power unless God gave it to you. Whoa. That's what you call chutzpah. Mm-hmm. And back to what is well, truth. That yeah. is truth. Mm-hmm. And then the religious leaders play what I think is their trump card. He says he's a king. So he mm-hmm. is the enemy of the emperor. You let him go and you become an enemy of the emperor. Woo! And that's what I was referring to about manipulation and twisting things uh, in the narrative. Is yeah. Jesus never claimed to be the king. Those were the, the their words, not his words. Jesus referred well, to himself. He, yes. He did refer to himself as the king in a different realm. Uh-huh. Okay, I, I'll concede. But referencing in the context, uh, uh-huh. right, of what they of their of their uh, strategy was your word of their strategy of uh-huh. their endeavor to um, justify uh, a wrongful charge of blasphemy. Okay, he wasn't blasphemous. He was he wasn't claiming to be anything. I'll, I'll rephrase it. He wasn't claiming anything that wasn't true other than who he was. So Pilate decides at this point, um, well, I really want to do justice, but 
that's too high of a cost because that's going to cost me my job, my career, uh, everything I have. He has political alliances he wants to preserve, and he has these powerful Jewish leaders at his heels threatening to ruin his life. And you know what happened.
caved. He caved. Mm -hmm. How many times have we heard in life, I really don't want to do this, but uh, I have no choice. Oh, uh, did you do or this or that, or did you say this or that? I was just following orders. Sure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Whose side are you on, Bob Dylan said? Right. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord all the days of our life. Period. Amen. Even if we lost our lives. You can kill the body, but you can't kill the spirit. The Pharisees and Sagittarius, it's like, what do we do with this man? We can't bribe him to shut him up and silence him. If we do kill him, he's going to become a martyr, okay? And if we do this, this is going to happen. If we don't do this, this is going to happen. What do we do? And so Jesus is there bleeding in front of the crowd, and Pilate says, here's your king. And they respond, we have no king but Caesar. Wow, they're showing where their hearts really are. We have Mm -hmm. no king but Caesar. So they gave up their long-awaited Messiah because of personal ambition and power. And how often does that happen today? I also think about Nicodemus in regards to this. It's like Nicodemus is like, I want to understand. Help me to understand. I know I... There's more to meets the eye here. This goes against everything that I've been, that I've understood or I've been taught. They couldn't comprehend beyond the limitation of what was, uh, what they had been exposed to, uh, what they were taught from their, their instructors, from their parents when they were growing up and through the consensus of the crowd. We have no king but Caesar. And Caesar makes a pretty crummy God. Mm-hmm. And the leaders make a pretty crummy God. But they got what they wanted at the cost of their souls. It's also, again, it's amazing now that in, in, in studying the scriptures, so many things come together and tie together. In the, in the Old Testament, it says the people cried out for a king. We want a king. We want another ruler. We want, okay. And then once they got him, it's like, uh uh-oh. We didn't realize it was going to be like this. Uh, We don't want it. So at this point, Jesus is taken to the cross. And we call Jesus the Lamb of God. And in a very real sense, he was slaughtered on the cross. Some believe, especially consistent with John, he may have been put on the cross when the Jewish priests slaughtered the lambs in the temple. Now, that's a little bit debatable, but it's, it's an interesting possibility. The lambs were especially raised for being Passover lambs for sacrifice. And the lambs were born and raised where? Well, the town was Bethlehem. That's where the lambs were born and raised, Bethlehem, the same town where Jesus was born. Not an accident. Uh -uh. Not an accident. Is that the only place that they were raised in Bethlehem? Well, lambs could be raised anywhere, um, but it was the perfect lambs that were sent to Jerusalem or were sent to Bethlehem. 
and mm-hmm. that they were specifically prepared for the Passover sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Why? Why? Why Bethlehem? Okay. Why was it deemed, and who deemed it? Actually, two-part question. Why was it deemed, and who deemed that Bethlehem was the chosen place? Why? To um, choose a a uh, lamb for sacrifice. This was part of the tradition, but you might say, well, where did the tradition come from? And Correct. I believe God sometimes guides traditions so that we'll get the point. You know, if you have lambs dying for our sin on Passover, that Jesus from the same town dies for Passover on Passover or uh, for our sins. And so I think God intervenes even in traditions sometimes. And it's uh, it's amazing how God will put things together so that we get the message sometimes in two or three different ways. That makes sense. And I will tend to agree with you. But think of Jesus on the cross, crucified for our sins, and he's hearing the dying bleedings of these lambs as they are slaughtered. And, and of course, that recalls the lambs on Exodus, because that's where Passover came from, is remembering Exodus, where the blood was placed on the doorposts, and, and the idea was to be spared the death of the firstborn. And, and so that's where the traditions of uh, Passover came from. And so Jesus was dying so that we would be spared eternal death. And he took our place on the cross, even as the lambs took the place of the ancient Israelites. So there's there's a beautiful picture there that, that John leaves with us. And without any competition, again, is the depth. And we can't, in our finite minds, really grasp. We can't grasp as like when... Um, that his physical body is on the cross and dying and he took upon himself the sins of the world and uh, tying it together with Passover and about all the mothers and the fathers and the others that were crying out uh, in agony for the for the consequences uh, of Pharaoh. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, the slaughtering, the death, um, right. and there's Jesus. Uh, has anyone ever thought? I, I'm not asking this a rhetorical question. Has anyone ever thought about Jesus in his last uh, moments, last minutes, last moments, last time, physically on the cross there, and taking upon himself the sins of the world? What that means? Can you? Can you can you envision, can you imagine, and I don't know anyone who can, humanly, morally, or mortally, uh, completely, begin to fathom all the different nationalities, all the different cultures, all the different languages, all the different dialects, and all the people who are crying out uh, for what they are subjected to. Hunger, fathom, pestilence, starvation, 
all the suffering that was and is going on in the world. And Jesus being in touch with that. I don't think there's anyone that can, I don't know any, how many people have ever even thought about this or how many people, if I don't believe again that there's anyone that can really grasp the depth of this other than God himself. One other thing, think about his mother and his disciples, his followers, and there she is in the crowd, and she's seeing her son hanging on that cross and what he's having to endure and being subjected to and the emotions that must have been being experienced by Mary, and that's her son. That's that's the... And that she knows this is not, 
in her mind, this is not right. Again, limitations, not being able to see the big picture. This is not right. And I see how mutilated and bruised and suffering and hurting Jesus really is. And that's my, my child. And that I want to take and pull him off that cross and clean him up and take him home and feed him and, and heal him. And there's not a thing I can do. Nothing I can right. do. I stand here and watch it. But there is something that Jesus could do. <laughs> and that was that was to appoint one of his uh, disciples to take care of her. Well, Grover, a while back you mentioned Nicodemus. Nicodemus starts to take a role here after Jesus dies on the cross, and mm-hmm. he comes um, privately along with Joseph of Arimathea, who it's, he's described as a secret disciple in verse thirty-eight. And he asks Pilate to remove the body of Jesus. Pilate says, that's fine, Joe. Nicodemus brings embalming spices to preserve the body. And they wrap the body. And he's placed in a tomb. And that seems like, to some people, that's the end of the story. It's all over. Thank goodness it's not. Amen. Hallelujah. It is not the end of the story. I would just encourage those of you that are listening to listen to the two-part Resurrection Day special that we had several months ago, and it will give you the full scoop in terms of the resurrection. I think it was on April the 13th, and it was two different programs, two hours long, 2213 and 2214. The wonderful story of the resurrection of Christ. I especially like the Emmaus Road part of that. These disciples walking down the road and not having a clue what's going on, and this guy is following them and starting to tell, ask them about what's happening. And it's Mm -hmm. Jesus incognito. He's (laughs) you can't you can't recognize him, but uh, I love that part of the story. I love the whole. Resurrection account. How many times in life that we've missed out on opportunities to be a better Christian? Mm. To be more like God, to come out from amongst the world and be holy as he is. Grover, I'm reminded of that verse that says, whenever you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Amen. We are pretty much at the end of this hour. And uh, do you have any last comments, uh, Wanda and Grover? Um, let's start with Wanda. you have any last comments before we go? Well, to be honest with you, that was beautiful to talk about seeing where the sheep were raised special, uh, once for a sacrificial lamb. I thought that was beautiful. And that's the place where Jesus was born in that cradle. There's not a mistake. That's the place where they sacrifice the land. And the shepherds knew about this. I think that's, I need to go do some research on it. So thank you for whetting my appetite on following this story. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Grover? This has been really informative as one of the science, educational. Um, and interesting and for anyone who comes across this I hope and pray 
that it will resonate and touch them in a divine and special way. Thank you, Grover. Thank you, Wanda. And I want to tell everyone that's listening, these two wonderful people responded sort of at the last minute. And that is incredible to me. I am so grateful to have had them with us. Just wonderful saints of God. And I thank you both for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Jesus did for us. What can we do for him? <laughs> thank you. Love you, brother. Love you, sister. Lord willing, okay. and the creek don't rise. We'll see you by and by. <laughs> not here on the other side. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Grover, you're Grover unique. Truly yeah. unique. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Would you mind like repeating that when I get home and tell tell someone that someone else they say I'm weird, I'm weird, and I say you need thank you. That's confirmation. Would you, <laughs> you, you mind original? Come on, <laughs> original. That's that's right on too. Thank you. That'll teach him to go on vacation. Pure Gospel Network is an intergenerational, Christ-centered, not-for-profit internet mission church, a network of believers from many different backgrounds who are passionate about reaching out to others. Your Voice in the Wilderness, a church online since 98, now known as pgn.church, operates 100% on your tax-deductible donations.